God gives us two eyes, two ears, two hands, two feet. And sometimes only one eye is looking, only one ear is whistling. Only one hand is out there, only one foot is supported. You see, we forget sometimes that we are to receive the word. That's a good thing. But we're also pass it off. Bruce Barton, who was quoted this morning in Sunday school, wrote a couple of books and he also talked about the two seas. There's a sea at the north. We call it the Sea of Galilee. It receives rain. It receives from streams. And in turn it flows out. The water that isn't absorbed or whatever, that gets to the bottom of the line, it goes into the dead sea. The dead sea receives and does not pass on. The most saline body of water on the planet is the dead sea. You can jump in it and you will float like a cork, saltier than the ocean. But with one exception, things that fall in it have a way of dying. In fact, you have to take a shower to get out of that stuff and cake on your skin. You see, there are some people who say, I have received, I have received, and that's as far as it goes. The other shoe needs to drop. The other foot needs to be used. It's not keep your foot, but your foot's right. Your feet. Keep your feet. And so I want to remind you this morning. Please turn to James chapter 2. Somebody has called the book of James the Proverbs of the New Testament. Because while it doesn't focus on doctrine, it does focus on practice. You may be a Christian in your head and you may be a Christian in your heart, but is it showing your hands and your feet? You see, there are some people so smug, so short, oh, they're doctrinally straight. They have absorbed. And, and sometimes we, we get in a set, well, I just feel like a sponge. I soaked it all up. But what good does a sponge do if you don't wring it out from time to time? And God fills us up so that we can pass on. Freely, you can see. Freely, good. James chapter 2, verses 14 through 20. Address something that some people observe the Passover on, but it's God's Word. We need to know it. We need to show it. We need to grow it. Let's read this passage. What did it profit, my brethren, though a man say he hath faith and have not works? Can faith save him? If a brother or sister be naked and destitute of daily food, and one of you say to them, 
Depart in peace. Be ye warmed and filled. They talk real. Encouraging, don't they? But they just can't lift a finger to do anything. God will provide to some people. That's their cop-out. In other words, God's going to take care of you. I ain't going to a finger to help you. Hmm. See where I'm going? More important, see where the Spirit is going with this. Notwithstanding, you give them not those things which are needful to body. What does it profit? How much good do you do somebody by just running your mouth a little bit? Even so, faith, if it hath not works, is dead. Be alone. It's all by itself. Yea, the man may say, Thou hast faith, and I have works. Show me thy faith without or separate apart from thy works, and I will show thee my faith by my works. Thou believest there is one God, thou doest well. The demons also believe and tremble. Sometimes seems to affect them more than it does others. Ouch. <coughs> will thou know, O vain man, that faith without works is dead? We emphasize the fact that we're not saved by works. Absolutely. The only work that can or ever will save anyone is the finished work of Jesus Christ. But they stop at the end of verse 9 like that's all God had to say. But what's the other shoe? Verse 10. We are His work. It's God doing the work. We are His workmanship. You are a work in progress. Did you know that? Somebody said, God's not finished with me. He's not finished with me. He's not finished with you. He continues to work in and through us for His glory and for others. I didn't know it before we came here. That song about others speaks to me. I hope it does to you. Sometimes in my notes I'll write T-I-C, which can mean tongue-in-cheek, but it also can mean talk is cheap. Preachers are bad about that. Politicians are bad about that. Fairweather friends are bad about that. They will promise you the world and deliver this much. That can be a problem. Somebody has said, I may doubt what you say, but I will always believe what you do. You put feet to your prayers. You show support. My dad used to drive buses to show people around San Francisco and its environment on his time off. And he said, sometimes I'd get a bus full of guys and they'd come off that thing with their cameras around their necks and, and they'd, they'd give them a dollar or two or five or ten or sometimes twenty dollars. You got a bunch of folks on the bus, that, that can add up. <coughs> and he said, sometimes every one of them comes off says, Appreciate it. Appreciate it. 
And he'd say, son, just between you and me, sometimes I wish they appreciated this so Do you appreciate that? That's not a hint, that's just an observation because people will say this and say that. They have all these dreams, these grandiose ideas, but when it comes down to it, how do they spend their money, their time, their energies? What is the focus of their attention? <laughs> We're to love the brethren in the heart. 1 John 3.18 tells us. This statement about faith without works being dead is so important. Uh, I don't plan to speak much on it today except to just remind you. The last verse of this chapter comes back to this thought. Verse 26. As the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without works is dead also. <clears throat> Two thoughts come through as I look at these verses. Verses 14 through 16 remind us of the emptiness of words. And then we draw a parallel in the other verses, the emptiness of soul faith. And I don't mean soul like in here. I mean S-O-L-E. That's all you got. I have faith. Well, could you evidence that? Sometimes people say they have joy. I was in one group and it looked like the whole congregation. I got the joy, 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 joy. Down in my it must be really deep because you can't see it on their face. They don't lift up their voice. There is a song that says, let them shout for joy. And be glad that favor my righteous cause. Are you glad what God is doing? Or do you say, eh, so what? I was born soft-spoken. I outgrew that. I guess I figured that out. But let's think about this a bit. Mere faith. If all you have is faith. You got it in your head. You might be able to rattle off this, rattle off that. What good is that? What of the prophet, it said in verse 14, my brethren, though a man say he hath faith and have not works, can faith save him? Sometimes men strive and strive, and what are they doing? Let's turn back to Matthew for a moment. Matthew chapter 16. Sometimes we face obstacles, we undertake projects, we have something going on, and maybe don't get past the talking stage. What does a man profit, this is Matthew 16, 26, what does a man profit if he shall gain the whole world and lose his own soul? your life worth if it's you don't really accomplish a thing I had the best of intentions I was gonna I even wrote up a resolution I'm gonna do that well follow through if it's a good thing if it's a God honored thing what shall a man give in exchange for 
his soul. It's important that we live the sort of life which is pleasing to God. Go to 15th of 1 Corinthians, please. This chapter <coughs> delineates the gospel for us. And of course, that's a good thing, but there's more in the chapter than just the few, first few verses. Look at verses 12 through 19. Now if Christ be preached that he rose from the dead, how say some among you that there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there be no resurrection of the dead, then is Christ not risen? Oh, I rejoice in Christ Jesus. Why? Well, uh, everybody else does. Do they? Is that why? Well, he said some wonderful things. Yes, and did he follow through? Did he really do what he said he was going to do? And it doesn't make a difference to you and to me. It certainly should. But if there be no resurrection, then, then is Christ not risen? The whole thing is a house of cards. It's tumbled and it doesn't amount to a thing. If Christ be not risen, then your, our preaching is vain and your faith is also vain. We're just fooling around if Christ is not risen. It's more than just something to talk about. More than just something to contemplate. Yea, we're found false witnesses of God. I wouldn't appreciate too much if you lied about me. I don't think anybody likes something to lie about. What are you lying about God? You're lying about God. Well, he, he, he did it. No, he didn't. That's what this world would say. They laugh at Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ, superstar, ended in the garden where Jesus' body was buried. And as far as they're concerned, that's it. He never rose. He never finished the great work. So it's pretty important. It's not just a, eh, okay. Because we have testimony of God that he raised up Christ, who he raised not up, if so be that the dead rise not. This is pretty important, folks. For if the dead rise not, then is not Christ raised, and if Christ be not raised, your faith is vain. Ye are yet in your sins. Wow! That's pretty serious. You're heedless, hopeless, and helpless. And what about others? Then they also which are fallen asleep in Christ are perished. They are dead. They are buried. And that's it. No hope for them. If in this Christ only we have hope in Christ, we are of all men most miserable. I've heard people say, I'll tell you what, if I died and found out it was all just a bunch of hooey, I just thank God I got to think that way. Really? That really was. been most miserable. Talk about losers. It's, it's very important to say that Christ died. Just like the scriptures say. And he did so for us. And that he was buried. And that he rose again from the dead. But now is Christ risen from the dead and has become the first fruits of them that sleep. You know what? Some people say, well, Jesus did it all. There's nothing for me to do. Not to be saved, not to stay saved, but to let your light so shine. 
in this same chapter. Drop down to verse 32. If after the man of men I fought with beasts at Ephesus, you see, sometimes they say, let's see if you're really a Christian. Well, throw you in a bunch of hungry prayers and see how you handle that. Somebody says, oh, I'm a Christian. I would go anywhere. I would do anything. I would suffer anything. Really? Talk is cheap. He says, if I do all that stuff, what advantage is me? If the dead rise not, let us eat and drink, for tomorrow we die. That's the attitude of the hellion, folks. I hope none of us have ever expressed that idea. And what is it talking about here? He's talking to, to brethren about brethren. Some would say, well, what difference does it make? What can faith do? This is important. A preacher friend of mine was attending a debate in which the one side was debating with another and the first said we believe that we're justified by grace by faith and those things are true and Paul emphasizes that but James looks at it in the other direction if you will. he says faith without works is dead and the other gentleman made the observation, are we talking about a live faith or a dead faith? How much good is dead faith? Empty faith. Vain. You're just fooling around. He talks about that here in these next couple of verses. You got somebody who's naked. That's a pretty desperate way. But they don't have just enough food to get through the day. And you say, depart in peace, be warmed and filled. When I was young, I saw this movie about this missionary who went to Hawaii. And on the ship, they're sailing along and sometimes it's a bright sky, it's a smooth sea, and everything is just hunky-dory. But then, you know, Pacific's a pretty big body of water. And after a while, they're bobbing up and down, and they're weaving back and forth and tipping to and fro, and they got sick. Seasick with a capital C. They were miserable. And this one guy, it wasn't affecting him. So he woke up, be warmed and filled, be warmed and filled. And he said, I wonder why they don't appreciate my words of encouragement. I can't help but think of that when I read this passage. You, you tell people, be warm and filled. Everything's hunky dory. Huh? But you don't give them those things that are needful to the body. What does it profit? And folks, the sad fact is there are some people in the past. And there may even be some of their descendants today who will talk a real good talk and then leave you in the lurch. We ought to be there for people. Somebody spoke of 
Christianity in shirt sleeves. That's, that's what James is talking about here. How important that we take it to heart. Words of comfort should be accompanied by works of comfort. You know, somebody laid it on somebody's heart to talk about that this morning. Somebody smarter than me. Smarter than all of us put together. Need to know that. And you know, Paul wrote two letters to Timothy. Timothy was a preacher. And you know, some people say, what business does a preacher have talking about how I live my life? Uh, well, let me show you. 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 18. Well, 17 and 18. Paul, the elder statesman for the Lord, tells this young pastor, Timothy, charge them that are rich in this world that they be not high-minded. Well, I'm rich because I've got it together. You're poor because you're a bum. That's not quite the way Jesus put it. That they be not high-minded nor trust in uncertain riches because you can have it today and lose it tomorrow. In 1929, people were financial heroes one day and they were zeros the next and they couldn't live with it. Devastated them. Paul says, I once was rich and then I was poor. And, and, and Paul learned how to be that way. Nor trust in us, but in the living God. That's who our trust is. Whether you have a dollar in the bank or a gazillion dollars in the bank, your trust had better be in the Lord and not the U.S. government or the FDIC, or the stock market, or anything else. <coughs> He's the one who gives us richly all things to enjoy. That they do good. Do you know it's part of a pastor's job to tell us, himself included, to do the right thing. To do good. That they be rich in good works. Well, preacher, I'm not saved by works. I didn't say you were. If you have, God has blessed you so that you might bless others. Pass it on. What do you say, God? So pass it on. And the best thing you can pass on, of course, is the truth as it is in Jesus. Believe it or not, there are people out there that think. But the best thing they can do is work in a soup kitchen. And I don't knock that. That's not the most important need. A man, a woman, a boy or a girl's greatest need is Jesus Christ. We forget that sometimes. Sometimes the tail wags the dog. That's a problem. So Paul tells this pastor... Tell those folks who have something that they do good, that they be rich in good works, not just intending, ready to distribute, willing to communicate. And that word communicate doesn't mean talking it. It means doing it. 
finding me. You know, this COVID thing has really put a key in a lot of folks attempting to be of service to the Lord because used to be it didn't take an act of Congress to have an opportunity to do this and do that. You know, first part of last year, I got sick. And part of 2020, 21. I got bad sick. And I couldn't go, and I couldn't do. And about the time I was kind of sort of on the recovery, that's when this COVID thing hit, and things shut down. You don't think about it, but the folks in the rest homes couldn't get visits. And folks in other situations couldn't get the visits. And we do what we can. Cards are better than nothing. Phone calls are better than nothing. Rather than say, what can you do? You can do all that you can, as best as you can, for as long as you can. Well, I can't do that. You know, I can't go to India and work as a missionary, but God has a work going over there. I can't go to Thailand, do missionary work there. No, but we can know about, we can pray for, we can support. We do more than just think about. And so now, let's think about this other portion. Because just as empty words should tell us something, empty faith. Even so, faith, if it hath not works, is dead being alone. I have faith. Great. What has it motivated you to do for Jesus Christ, your Lord and Savior? Is Christ really your King? Or is that just something you say in a song and then you get out the door and you forget all about it? Does that convict you? It convicts me! Because sometimes I have to say, Christ isn't always a preeminent in my life. Sometimes He's only... Predominant, and sometimes even only presence. That's something we need to think about. Just how highly do we esteem Jesus Christ? Pretty high. Well, does it show in what you think about? Does it show in how you spend your money, your time, your energies? What is the focus? I know a lot of parents, they, they make sure their kids got good teeth. They make sure that their posture is good. They want them to have good grades in school. And folks, I'm not knocking that, but what's the most important thing? We were reminded in Sunday school about this lady. Oh, kid, stuck in my car. It's getting hot. And people kind of fumbled around here and told, finally somebody busted the window to save the child's life. It was turning blue, wasn't it? It's a pretty serious situation. And after the dust has settled, the lady It's all about priorities. What is most important? I promise you this. If I were to die today, the Lord would not say, you know, Rangie, you just kind of stunk as a Christian, but you had a great stamp collection. And you know what? I like stamps too. People get involved in things. 
And they ought to be taking up the work of the Lord. You can't show your faith just by what you have on the You put it on display. You say, well, I don't want to show out. Well, what what the Lord meant when he said, let your light so shine that men may see your good works, not to pat you on the back, but to glorify your Father, which is in heaven. A man might say, you have faith, I have works. You show me what faith you have without any works. Better to show it with works. When you tell your kiddos you love them, do you just do it with your mouth? Do you demonstrate them? <coughs> Are you patient with them? You know, we, again, it's funny how these things kind of come together. Paul said, fathers, don't provoke your children to wrath. Don't make them bitter. And there are an awful lot of people who have been reared in a kind of sort of Christian context that are mean to snakes and bitter. They all darkened the door of a church because they met some pretty puny, pretty sorry excuses for Christians. Oh, they could quote the scripture. They just didn't live it out. They might even sing. I got the joy, 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 joy. Down in my heart. How about it? Come up a little bit. Come up to the face. Express it. It's really interesting. In Matthew chapter 3, it tells us that John the Baptist was at the Jordan River. And people came out to be baptized. If someone comes to me and asks about baptism, you got my attention. But you know what? I got to be like Philip. If they say, what keeps me from being baptized? Well, you look like a fine fellow. I guess you, well, that's your looks. What is your faith? And so the action took place. Now, some came before. John. And he said, some of you say, well, I have this pedigree. I've got this education. I've got these opportunities. I've got all this going on for me. He called them sons of snakes. Not too conciliatory, was he? He said, bring forth fruit, meat for repentance. A friend of ours named Paul gave us a tree. What was it? Pear? Plum. Did it ever bear plums? Now I can't tell. Some guys, some of you know um, Daniel Pope, he can look at a tree and from the leaves he can tell you what kind of tree is. I can't do that. Some people look at the bark and tell you what kind of tree is. I can't do that. But even I can tell you if there's plums or apples or whatever growing on it, that's the kind of tree it is. Because a tree is known by its fruit. You want to be known as a Christian? Be fruity. <laughs> that little kid I had right before we got married, there was this goofy commercial. He'd be sitting there doing his work. Fruity, fruity. Oh, don't you not sing that right now? I like the tune. Funny how commercial tunes 
getting your head. You remember those things. Now I can't forget it. Maybe you can't either. But there are some people who ought to be fruity. Now, sometimes we meet people who are fruity. Who ought to be fruity the right way. We should be known by our fruit. Well, I got it deep down in the root, but how about it shows in the fruit? Okay? Let's end with 19 and 20. Thou believest there is one God. I am solid in my doctrine. I adhere to such and such confession of faith. So and so has articulated. That's wonderful that you know all the fancy terms. But how does it affect your life? How do you show that you take God seriously and it comes out of, well, I'm in church on Sunday. Great. What's your mindset on Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday and the other days that you why? All the time. No mistake that in the 10th Psalm it says that the wicked God is not in all his thoughts. To me that implies God ought to be in all of our thoughts. Not just, well, we're going to the churches. Let's think about God now for a little bit. And we talk about the other things. You know what we say to our husband or wife, our kids or other people, when we say that sort of thing, you know, let's let's get this over with and then let's do what really matters. Really? That's, that's what you're saying to others. How important it needs to be. And yes, it's true that there are those who say they believe. But you know what? So do the demons. The demons, when Jesus came around, when those demons were in so-and-so, and they didn't say, ha ah, Jesus, well, let's have a little spar match. No! Have you come to torment us before the time? Now, he could have cast them into their place of punishment. Right there, right there. But they said, give us a reprieve. They said, there's a, there's a herd of hogs over there. Send us into the hogs. And the Lord only had to say one word, go. They didn't drag their feet or wings or whatever they had. They went. And they went to those hogs and the hogs were so goofy and crazy. They ran off and destroyed themselves, drowned themselves in the sea. One preacher said, that just shows you that the demon's second choice after a man is a home. They took the word of Jesus seriously. Maybe even, or even more so, than we do. So let's not just think the thought. The demons believe. What do they believe? They believe what causes them to tremble. Do you tremble when you think about the fact that you are a sinner? <clears throat> there was a song in my youth. Spirit in the sky. You remember that? And people, well, you need to think about spiritual things. Tribal spirits, the scriptures say. There's a line in there where the guy says, I'm not a sinner. I've never sinned. 
Well, you know what we ought to say to that? Wrong. But I got a friend in Jesus. <coughs> Jesus is cool with my being a sinner. You need to read your Bible. Makes it very clear. Our, our God is not one that says, hey, like the song says, yeah, the song might say it, but the word doesn't say it. That I forgive anything from anybody, just, just don't sweat. That's the bill of goods that the world has been sold. We need a Savior, a holy God, who can save, but He only saves on the basis of the finished work of Jesus Christ. If you're hoping for heaven because well, my name's on the church roll. My folks gave me a new Bible. It's even got my name on it. It's even thumb index. Red letter edition. Well, I got me a good Bible. Well, you might have a good Bible, but what are you? You need the goodness of Jesus Christ. That is the dire need that men have. And when it comes to living the Christian life, it don't cut it to just, well, I know what I want to do. Okay? And a lot of times, preachers and teachers, they tell you what you ought to know. They tell you what you ought to do. But you know what? You need to follow through. You need to do what God has said. Don't just think about it. I knew a preacher once that somebody's pastor liked what you said, preacher, and you serve. I'm going to be thinking about it. And he said, well, uh, how about you put it into practice? Really? you got to ruin it like that, preacher? That's the way sometimes people think. How seriously do we take this business of the Christian life? That's part of what James is saying here. Let's close by going to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Because I don't mean to give you a downer, but someday you're going to die. Unless the Lord comes first, you're going to die. I'm going to die. And then what? We should be confident. Last Sunday we looked about God who is our confidence from Psalm 31. But that's in the old and it's in the new. 2 Corinthians 5, verses 6 through 8. Therefore we are always confident. You can take this to the bank. It better than the bank because banks can get robbed. This can't be taken from you as God's child. We are always confident knowing that whilst we are at home in the body. We are absent in the Lord. And one of the greatest seminal verses, not just in this chapter, not just in this book, but the whole Bible, we walk by faith, not by sight. You look around you, sorry, pathetic, fearful. We need the upward look, not the roundabout look. We are confident, I say, and willing rather to be absent from the body and to be present with the Lord. Do you long for heaven? 
You long for a world where there's no sin. Peter talked about it in the third chapter of the second letter. He spoke about new heavens and new earth wherein dwelleth righteousness. None of the mess that's going on out there, in here, in here. To have our minds stayed upon Him, to love to be in His presence. And we're going to be learners. If you don't like school, you're not going to like heaven too much. Because God's school, where we all have so much to learn, we're just scratching the surface. We read a passage from the Bible and we think about this. We're going to be spending eternity. We're not going to be playing Parcheesi. Or any other game. It's going to be for real. It's going to be great! Does that thrill your soul? It thrills mine. If I were down there on the pew and the preacher said something like that, I'd probably say amen too. In fact, uh, you know me, I'd probably say amen! Let's sing.